This episode is being sponsored by First Response Pregnancy. They are fervently committed to supporting, sharing, and empowering all pregnancy journeys and providing accurate information, especially to those struggling with infertility, loss of a baby, and maternal health inequities. You envision what's going to happen and you know, you're going to hear a little thump, 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 and you're going to see a little flicker and, and it's all racing through your mind. And then, you know, she finally just looks at me and she's like, I'm sorry, there's no fetal heartbeat. Hi, everyone. It's Olympic figure skater and broadcaster Tara Lipinski, and you're listening to Unexpecting. I started this podcast with my husband and now co-host Todd to bear it all about my untold five-year and often excruciating journey with infertility. The goal is simple, to take this taboo subject and demystify it, to normalize these important conversations, and hopefully to find answers. Nothing is off limits, and over the course of the series, we'll unpack my fertility mystery, the trauma we've endured, and hopefully offer those struggling alongside of us some valuable insight. So laugh and cry with us as we ride this unimaginable fertility roller coaster, hopefully toward a brighter day. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And if you know someone struggling with fertility, tell them about this podcast. Because our path might be different, but it doesn't mean we're lost. Hi, everyone. It's Tara Lipinski. And this is Todd Kapastashi. And you are listening to the sixth episode of Unexpected. Episode six. What do you, just before we get going, what do you think of this shirt? You have, guys, he has so asked me this. No, but I, this is a purchase on my own. I just want to say that one thing that disappoints me about my life or just like me in general, <laughs> if I could like go back in time, is I would establish some sort of personal style. Right. Like I have, it's not that I have bad style. I have like horribly, like what's the word? Like generic, pl- plausible style. <laughs> like it's so obvious. It's like button up. Jeans, cute hoodie. Yeah, I but like I have it. friends who like, I wouldn't even say I like their sound necessarily, but they like go for it. They like try stuff. Like I see them out I don't and I'm know. like, oh I man, you look you cool. I married you because like I like that I you never kind look of, cool, you're though. my like Cleveland guy in your know. nice little hoodie and baseball cap. I know, but I never look cool. But Todd, this year I bought you a hoodie that I guess you would call it like eggplant and he went around asking people, like, <laughs> is this color too much? And I'm like, then you can't complain that you want to, you know, jump off and, and be a little more. I should wear that on the podcast. The, you my should. eggplant sweatshirt. Oh you, oh, you still have it. I didn't know if you oh, like. I have it. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, he's asked about this shirt well, since I, he I, bought it. It's it's very rare that I'll like, first of all, I just never buy myself anything, but I went out specifically for the podcast because like we're doing all these episodes. I have like six shirts. <laughs> I'm like running out. So I'm like, I got to run out and get a shirt and I didn't consult you. And I thought this was kind of cool, but now that I see it, it's, I don't know. It's cute. Yeah. It's cute. It works. So in the last episode of Unexpecting, we joked about my <laughs> recaps of the previous yeah. episode being always so terrible and bad. By the way, I don't have genital <laughs> yeah, warts. No, he's good. I was worried after we recorded that, that people were like, that's still in I the like sex- sexual health realm. <laughs> so yeah. I was I, glad you said Todd and not Tara. STD free. I was trying to think of like the worst things you could do. So that's why I said stepping on a rusty nail. And then I don't know why genital I, warts I, I liked bad. the rusty nail. You can take the genital warts. <laughs> yeah. STD free. Always have been. Always will be. But- Yeah, so we don't have a bad recap to start with this time. It's good news. So in the last episode, we left off with a pretty crazy once-in-a-lifetime retrieval. So if you could just quickly recap kind of what we got and maybe why you thought we got that result. 
Yes, it was just an unimaginable result. I couldn't believe that we got six embryos. We were never those people that got results, good results, let alone results like that. We were always watching other people get those results and it just felt so surreal and I felt grateful and I felt lucky and I felt like we jumped that hurdle. And I really will say that I believe the endosurgery had so much to do with it. So this is a little bit of a PSA because we talked about the risks and how nervous I was going into the surgery. And and once I had the surgery and I saw the benefits, A, the pain was better, B, the bonus of going through IVF and, and having all that inflammation out of you, I just wish that I did it sooner. So anyone out there that has the ability to get the surgery, you're going through IVF, you're having problems with endometriosis, do not be afraid. Do not Google like I did because I was so surprised. The surgery went so smoothly. Recovery varies for people. Sometimes it can take months, but for me, I really improved day to day. And I joke with you all the time now that because I'm so not afraid of this anymore, and it was such an incredible help to our journey that I'm always like, Todd, I should just it's like teeth cleaning. I should just head in and get an endosurgery today. And I feel like you want too many of these. <laughs> yeah. Like a weekly endosurgery. I am all for the endosurgery. But the butt zings are, there's less butt zings and those were kind of fun, no? <laughs> for you to laugh at me about. So you go. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about with these butt zings. I know it. But so not to play contrarian at all in this whole, you know, endosurgery, amazing retrieval, but I will. This one was such a great result that it was hard to believe it wasn't because of your endosurgery, but there still is probably this small chance, right, that it was just nature and we got lucky on this one? Right. We have no idea. I mean, we got genetically normal embryos and our retrieval too. So did we just get lucky? <laughs> was it all the walnuts you were eating? <laughs> <laughs> the dirty walnuts. <laughs> Who knows? And then what we really didn't know was we did this surgery because of the miscarriage in hopes that clearing the endo would help hold a pregnancy. So we definitely didn't know if that was going to be affected as well. And it's hard to overstate at this point in our journey, almost two years in-ish to give people perspective that, you know, we both thought we were done with retrievals and retrievals did, you know, if you remember from last episode, like, especially for me during COVID, like those retrieval cycles and just us commiserating daily over it and just taught, it felt like the only thing we were discussing was fertility and these retrievals and everything you were going through and as we should have been, right. but it dominated our life essentially. And to know and to feel like now we had what at that point, eight, eight, embryos. eight genetically tested embryos. Like we, I mean, come on, like we weren't going to have, they say right. one, two for one, we weren't going to have four kids most likely. Right. So we were good in that phase of our life. Was we over. We thought. <laughs> we thought. Moment, and that moment was over. And yeah, that was such a great feeling. I had no, I, I had no thoughts that I would ever do another retrieval. And it felt so good because I, I powered through, but I mean, I didn't want to keep doing those shots. And if you really think about it, it's for the way that we primed my cycles, it would take two months to do a retrieval. We did five. If you put those back to back, it's essentially a full year of just going to the office every three days and giving yourself shots. It's, you know, I have buckets. I, I started saving them just buckets of needles. And I was so glad that I was done with it. Yeah, and the other thing that's interesting to think about, like that could have been our fertility journey, right? Like that could have been, oh man, like we went through all these retrievals. We had one miscarriage. We had some issues. But like, weirdly, I know this sounds almost like sick, but it's like, if that was the end of our journey, if we had popped out a kid, 
you know, nine months after that crazy retrieval, I, I kind of would have looked back on our journey as like, oh, well, it was a difficult thing in life and COVID was tough, but like, you know, people go but through struggles and fertility, but we did it. It wasn't like awful, awful. Right. It wasn't, to me, I would almost phrase it as it wasn't traumatizing yet. It was alarming. I was traumatized personally. <laughs> you were traumatized. <laughs> For me, I was not yet traumatized. I think I would have looked back at it as, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense. I had endometriosis. All of these dots are now connected and it it's crappy that we had to go through it, but that's life, right? Like that was our card and we had to do it. And we'd look back and be like, oh, remember those two years of IVF that we did? And it wouldn't feel like what it currently feels like. So we had this amazing result. And I think both of us were just like, let's, <laughs> let's get pregnant. Yeah, let's do a transfer as, as soon as possible. But like every other process in IVF and fertility, everything sort of seems to take a while. So what was, just describe what our plan was. This was November of 2020. Um, and we ended up scheduling a transfer for January of 2021. What happened in between then? Well, it's just, it takes so much time. You're waiting for genetic results after the retrieval. And then we realized, okay, I have endometriosis. We did this surgery. We had a miscarriage. We need to do a test called an EFT, which is a uterine biopsy. So they go in and, and take a piece of the endometrium and biopsy it and make sure that there's no inflammation possibly from adenomyosis and that everything is receptive in the uterus to accept an embryo and the protocol that you're using is um, appropriate. And so Dr. Beck set up her protocol. She was going to use less hormones for me. And we went through this month and a half process of doing this EFT cycle. So it's like a practice cycle. And then they gather the information. So what for you, what were the results of the test? I'm not sure if you remember, but I was really worried about this test because we were now on this high and I thought things are going well, but I do have pretty bad endometriosis, very big possibility of adenomyosis. And what is this test going to prove? If it has inflammation, then we're delayed even longer. I could be on medication for three months trying to um, fix that inflammation. And the test result came back and it was negative for inflammation. And I was so surprised and relieved. So this transfer that was going to happen in early January of 2021 actually coincided with a skating event for you. Because again, you know, we're on, we're taking everyone through this experience, but like, you know, I hate to say it, but life does go on. Yes. We have jobs and families yes. and all of these things that we're still <laughs> simultaneously doing. I mean, COVID was a little different and part of my struggle, I think I probably would have done better with a more of an outlet. Right. Because I was like editing a project at home during COVID and all the stuff we talked about in the last episode that I struggled with, but... Now, I suppose in January 2021, things were opening up again. Slightly. There were there were pretty strict COVID uh, protocols for this event we went to, which was the national championships, which was one of the biggest events of the year. And I feel like I really filled everyone in at this point. My NBC work crew, my closest friends, Terry Gannon and, and Johnny Weir, who I work with on our broadcast team. And I felt like everyone was invested. I feel like... I was like, we found our answer. We had surgery. It's happening. You know, the stakes just felt really high, but I felt supported there. And it's crazy when you're working and trying to prepare for an IVF cycle, whether it's a retrieval or a transfer, because you have all these medications. There's certain times you have to take them. So now add in live television and that makes things difficult. There were so many times I would, Johnny and Johnny was so supportive and he just knows me so well. He knows how I tick. 
and just was able to help me through the process of I'd, I'd look at him and say, Johnny, we're going on air in 10 minutes. And at seven o'clock, I have to do a shot or I have to get this this medicine and I've got to run off you know, our little booth up in the sky. And he's like, I got you. And I would run off to the side and, you know, I don't even know if people saw me. I was like doing my medicine and running back on and the headset on and, and there's a triple Lutz, (laughs) you know, that's how it went. Well, it's also just proof of, again, the massive cliche, but they're like, you never know what people are going through, but it is true. It's like you're on air commentating and little does anybody know who's a skating fan or just watching the telecast that like in between you're calling me and worried about numbers or taking shots or taking this medicine or your mind is in a few different places, but you're also trying to like do well at your job. And we're also on air talent, which is like, you know, we're, we're supposed to be happy and (laughs) (laughs) bubbly and alive and not tired. I think about even this podcast, which is my broadcasting debut. And it's like, I don't know, like this is kind of, oh, I mean, we're in here in our basement, so yeah. this isn't really nerve wracking, but it's like, I can't imagine if I was like right. doing this and then like, oh, Todd, go jam a shot in your stomach or yeah. go take a call about some bad results and then have to go back on air. Right. Like it's not, it's not easy. But I got through it all and, you know, was just waiting, was ready for it. It's probably important to point out too that this isn't a process and we'll explain what an actual transfer is um, in a second, but these things aren't, it's not like, oh, you get to the transfer stage and the embryo just like goes in and you're pregnant. Like this is again, another sort of medical procedure where it's put in and then you cross your fingers and hope it's, what is it like 60%? There's odds again, but these odds are great. These odds are like 65%. Especially compared to natural pregnancy. It's like you're tripling your chances. And, you know, I feel like going into this with genetically tested embryos, you, you know, I don't know how everyone else feels in IVF, but when you have that, sometimes it feels like you have that leg up of just, again, crossing out other variables where you're like, this has to work, right? Like I can end up in the 65%. I actually found the transfer process pretty interesting because I wouldn't have thought that it would reveal almost this like subculture of, I don't know if it's like the IVF world or like how you conceive. Procreation. Yeah, procreation, (laughs) like how you conceive a child. Because when you think about like natural procreation, like not to give everyone the birds and the bees talking here, but you, you have sex and you have a baby. But like, you know, you hear about like, where were you conceived? And it's like under a large oak tree in Alabama <laughs> on a sunny day. And like, that's kind of, you know, you have sex and you have a baby and you think back of like, oh, that's when we had this child. Right. This, because it's a medical procedure, it has, you almost, know, you know, actually. Yeah, like, like when the you're, moment it's happening. Yeah, so like when you're having sex with someone, again, not <laughs> like the biology teacher here, like we know how it works, Todd. But like when you have sex with someone and let's say you're even trying to have a kid or you're just doing it for pleasure, <laughs> like you don't know that that's the moment. You're not thinking about it, obviously, in that right. moment, like the child part of it. Right. But when you go in for a transfer, you know that like that's the that's, moment. That's the moment. And I found those days magical. I... I just, I don't know what it was. I would go in, I would get myself in a certain mood. I don't know if you remember, sometimes I'd listen to these meditations that day. That day was so important. It was like a birthday. It was like a holiday and we had to be, you know, united together. And we were, you know, I just felt like we were so connected and it was this magical thing that was happening. We would go into the room. I always love 
beforehand, you go in, they give you a little half of Valium. <laughs> Here we go again, Tara. Back to the drugs. So now we know why you like these days. Yes, it has nothing to do with- 100% uh, great days. <laughs> um, don't forget my Valium. But um, then you would get suited up in your little white suit. Remember, you'd have to put your hat on and we go into the room and then they would show us the embryo. I thought the progression of what happens for the next 15 minutes, just so cool. You you work so hard in this retrieval and you don't, you don't, you know, you think of, oh, I have six embryos, but then you get to see that actual embryo and it, you know, you know, the gender and you know, the genetics and they pop it up in the screen and they show it what it looked like before. And then after it thawed and your embryologist is there, which, you know, me, I was like, eyeing and just wanting to to ask all the questions, like, how did it thaw? How does it look? You were like a resident (laughs) embryologist at that point. Really, at this point, I was asking all the questions. Um, And then I would get reassurance there and Dr. Beck would be like, it looks beautiful. And then they take that little catheter and and because I had endo, it was um, a little bit tricky. So there was, for me, it's usually a very painless process, but for me, there was pain. But I, again, one of those things where you want everything to go so well. Like I would just sit there. I don't know if you remember this and I would grip like the sides or your hand because it hurt so bad. And Dr. Beck was always so kind in in these procedures and asking, are you okay? You don't feel pain. She never wanted me to feel pain. And I would lie to her, be like, absolutely not. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because I just wanted her to do what she does best. And I didn't want my pain to be an interference. And then the best part is, they, she places it in this very specific spot and there she always, you know, will tell us, look now, it's almost like a spark of, you know, like in my mind, a spark of life. Well, that's what they call it, right? Right. And it's just this, you know, just you can see this little bright dot star and you can then just see it sitting there. And then I keep looking at the screen and I'm like, oh my gosh, just grow into a baby. Yeah. Because it's not, obviously it's not the moment of conception because that's, I guess if you get technical, it's it's obviously when the sperm and the egg come together and you have the embryo because that's already technically life. But I do think that like if you don't go through IVF, you don't get that the moment we're talking about where that embryo is then like placed in your right. uterus and will become you know something hopefully. in then, your body. Then you hopefully. just now rely on implantation. The other thing I thought was very interesting, I know you did too, about this process is like in that office, you know, they try to separate you from other people, but What's interesting is like if other people were going in for transfers that day, because I'm assuming Dr. Beck would have a few in a day or I I don't know, but there would be other people and you'd be separated by just a curtain and you could kind of hear them talking or whatever. And people would play. I heard this a couple of times. People would like play their favorite song or maybe their wedding song or something inspirational. So you'd be sitting in this thing waiting for your transfer. Then you hear these other couples. And I just remember vividly when I would hear a song thinking like, man, what's this couple's story? Like, how long have they been at it? Is this going to work for them? Why I feel like did if they, they were playing a song, song and they were talking like they were, they have been at it for a while and they've been through a lot. And that's what you start to realize that you're surrounded by all these people that are just so desperate for something to work and they're putting all their energy into the best place possible. But it's funny you say that because I remember that couple that we were next to and they the, the music was kind of loud. And I just, you know, afterwards too, I, I thought about them a lot. I still do. I was like, did it work? Like we had the transfer on the very same day. Our babies could have been born on the same day. Did we get our blood work the same day and you got a positive and, and I didn't, or I had a miscarriage. It's just like an interesting thing yeah. to, to think about. So we have that 
transfer. And then what was your, did you just kind of wait around to start testing? Oh, this was like a way different experience than the first time around. Then I didn't even know what data to even test. Now I had done my research over the last couple of months and I had really found through my Instagram account by following all these women, I feel like I found facts. I feel like I knew, okay, I need to see what they call a squinter on day five. And that's the faintest of faint lines. And you can like put it up to the window, the light, whatever it is. But from what I was gathering is the day five squinters really moved on to successful pregnancies. So some people would get it at day three or day four. Again, all different things. Maybe you had twins and it'd be stronger or whatnot. But I started testing at day three and just no line. Day four, no line. And then day five, I was like, this is the day. This is the day when people get squinters and there was no squinter. So your brain, obviously, as we've talked about on the podcast, <laughs> instantly goes to it didn't work. Yeah. I was, I'm sure, still a little hopeful. And, and even you were giving me the info of like, you know, you can see a day five squinter, but like sometimes they'll show up on day, I mean, we'll get into this later, but you can even see them on day 10 and have a pregnancy. It's not likely, but you know. Well, that's the thing. If you go looking on the internet and that's what I did at the time, and because this was really my first time testing at home after a, a transfer, I was still hopeful. I didn't see the see the squinter on day five. But when you look, there are so many forums where they're like, I didn't get my line till day eight. I didn't get my line till day 10. You know, I didn't get my line till day seven, whatever it is. And I was still hopeful, but I did just have that uncomfortable feeling of, oh, I feel like day five is when we wanted it. Also, it just would have been nice and easy. We've been through so much. It would have been nice for it to just like work and, and not just be, cause more stress. Like, Just yeah. be there. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing to mention at this point that we've mentioned, I think, in one of the previous episodes about pregnancy tests, and it's so fascinating to me. Like you grow up and you think a pregnancy test as like a one and done. You take one, you're either pregnant, you're not, you throw it away, maybe you test again. Like at least the, the man's perspective Growing up is always just like, yeah, you take a pregnancy test if you are trying to get pregnant and you're testing or you miss your period. So right. you take a pregnancy test, tells you your info and you toss it in the garbage. Right. I mean, you know, I'm sure you maybe more than some, like you were, especially later as we go on, oh but boy. like incessantly Cereal. testing. Yeah. You took a lot of tests. <laughs> I did. I, I mean, it's so funny that First Response is sponsoring our podcast because I mean, Todd, how many times did I laugh about this that I should own stock in this company? Well, there are a lot of BS <laughs> sort of like sponsorships in every and TV podcast. Not in this I'm podcast, sure. it is this all. This podcast is pretty legit. <laughs> legit. I have taken them. I've done the test. I've like whoever's part of this, we have been with you on this journey way before in my own journey. So I think that, um, yeah, the pregnancy testing was, you know, it became something that satiated this this out of control feeling that I had. And again, with the six day early and especially first response with the pink line, so you didn't have to worry about inaccurate results. You really, it was so addictive to, to, to do them because like you could see the faintest line and you could then do line progression. Um, so, you know, I didn't see a line on day five and I didn't see a line on day six. And I was like, we're out, we're out of the game. And I thought in my head, I'm like, if we don't see something on day seven, we're definitely done. And then I woke up the morning of day seven 
And I, sw- I mean, it was the faintest squinter I've ever had in all of these years. But I, I like my mind was playing tricks on me and you didn't see it. And I was like, it's there. It is there. Like, I know it's there. And I sat in bed. I remember this. I sat in bed and I downloaded this app called, I think it was called Checker. And you upload a picture of your pregnancy to stick and then people will comment on it. And it's either yes or no. Like, are you pregnant? Or are you not? Because even if you have the smallest line, that is considered you have HCG running through your blood. Like you are what a, pregnant. What a strange app. Like the fact that there's an app where like women will look at other women's pregnancy tests and be like, yes or no. It's like the... Mark Zuckerberg, what was that horrible app he created? Like hot or not? Or <laughs> it's like yes or no. But hot this was or like not. a supportive Pregnant? one. Yeah. <laughs> because then they would write messages like, I see it. You got this girl. And so I, and then you could like it was like a filter. You could put like a blue line on it. You could put contrast. You could, you know, use saturation to try to make the line show up more. Yeah, and I think you got into what people would call serial testing, I guess, which I always, again, the differences between you and I, I always kind of wanted you to just wait until- For the blood test. <laughs> or just wait until like seven or eight, day seven or eight, where you'd kind of know for sure if it was like a yes right. or no, instead of this like limbo where it's like, I may see a squinter and I'm asking people online if I'm pregnant or not, like, let's just wait. But it was I, obviously satiating something. It was. And in the beginning, like when we'd have these discussions, sometimes I felt guilty. I was like, am I doing something that's making our lives even more stressful? But I really, and connecting with other people on Instagram or, you know, I was on my fake account, but seeing all these women talk about this, I realized it really should be a personal decision and none of you should feel bad whether you want to wait and that brings less anxiety into your life or you do want to test early because there are people like me that, yeah, I could have waited a day, but what do you think is going on in my mind on day five? And I just know if I peed on a stick, maybe I'd see a line. And I think for me, it was just a little bit easier to uh, test and it felt like I had some control. Control made the anxiety feel less invasive. And I just felt like if I see something going wrong, I'll start grieving that and I'd rather know now. And now a quick word from our sponsors. First Response is fervently committed to supporting, sharing, and empowering all pregnancy journeys and provide accurate information, especially to those struggling with infertility, loss of a baby, and maternal health inequities. First Response knows that when testing for pregnancy, you want to be sure of your result. That's why they created Comfort Check, a pregnancy test kit that helps you test confidently and conveniently. The First Response Comfort Check Pregnancy Test Kit is a value pack containing eight total tests, three First Response Early Result Tests, and five First Response Pregnancy Test Strips, allowing women to test early and often for added reassurance. First Response's Early Result Test included in the Comfort Check Kit is their number one best-selling pregnancy test. It detects all major forms of the pregnancy hormone commonly found in urine and is over 99% accurate from the day of your expected period with results ready to be read in just three minutes. The First Response Comfort Check Pregnancy Test Kit is available for purchase in-store and online. Be sure to pick one up today. So on day seven, we got, you know, in your eyes, a squinter, but then you went and got the HCG test, which is a more accurate. Right. Test. I went to my regular doctor just because I thought I was losing my mind of looking at this pregnancy stick. And I just wanted to know what that number was. And it was seven, 
which <laughs> is not good. Is not good. I mean, it is very low. Well, so then on that day, are you thinking seven, it's over? Like, what do they say that that number means at that day? Yeah, the, the crazy thing is there's really not a lot of information out there that, that tells you exactly what a perfect number is. Because, I mean, it could vary, but I, I still had hope at this point. This was really only our second time being pregnant, so I didn't have all the knowledge. I had a lot of knowledge, but when you Google, you still saw things out there where it was like, oh, I got my line on day seven, it's fine. So I was still hopeful. Um, but I was thinking, oh my goodness, if it's supposed to double every two days and on day 10 is when I get my real blood work and they like it to be at least over, you know, like a hundred, how is that going to happen? Like 14 to 20, like this doesn't look But they great. can skyrocket right. at random times. But right. then what was your day 10 number? I think it was like 29 or something. It was just so low. So I knew on day 10 at that point that that number wasn't good. So the hope sort of drained away. And of course, you know, the questions I started throwing at Dr. Beck of like, what does this mean? This looks like it's probably going to be another miscarriage. Like what's going to happen? And, you know, again, doctors, what are they, they going to say? It's just wait and see. So every two days we'd go in and it would be like it doubled. And again, limbo, what does that mean? Great that you want it to double, but is the low number going to be an issue? And so we were just in this limbo and I was, you know, testing every day and the line was getting stronger. And I remember we went um, away for, I think like a day or two for Valentine's Day. And instead of packing something sexy, I was packing my estrogen and my progesterone and my pregnancy test. (laughs) (laughs) You could have made like a... A special custom-made lingerie <laughs> made out of only pregnancy yes. sticks. See? <laughs> that's like where we got to eventually. Yeah, that is really that's so sad. We'll get into some timed intercourse <laughs> later in the podcast that is some of the most disturbing content you'll hear. <laughs> Little tease for later. Oh, man. I do remember on that trip or around that time, we took like a little boat, mini boat trip around the harbor in Newport and... I remember you telling one of the workers as you like stepped into the boat, like, oh, like I'm be careful, I'm pregnant or something. And it's weird to think because I know you in that moment thought that you weren't, but you still sort of said that. I was always curious what the psychology yeah, behind I that was. I always remember this day. It's kind of sad. And I, I, I think, well, for one, we went on this boat and it was like small, but it was really far away. And he's like, jump in. And I, you know, in my mind, I was still trying to protect this pregnancy as much as I could, because we are pregnant technically. And um, it was a weird moment because, you know, I can't tell this man the story of jumping into this little canoe about, you know, where we are in a miscarriage. So I just felt like I needed to say- hey, I rented that boat. It wasn't a little canoe. <laughs> it was a little canoe. <laughs> Definitely. Well, in LA knows that like little Newport, you can bop around in yeah. those like little mini boats, but it's not a canoe. It, okay. It was something like that. <laughs> there you go. And I just wanted to be safe. So I knew I had to say it, but I felt like such an imposter. It was the weirdest thing. But then at the same time, I kind of relished saying it because it was like, oh, wow, like he thinks I'm like normal, like other pregnant women that, you know, are like, oh, I'm pregnant. Let me, let me step into the boat safely. And I just like felt this weird jealousy of what it must be like to just be a normal pregnant person that says that. And then I oddly felt proud that I was able to say it. It was just, I always remember this day and saying it to that guy and then just 
honestly feeling so icky inside because yes, he probably thought, oh, wow, she's pregnant. And inside I was dying knowing that we were going to probably lose it. Yeah. And it's also just, and I don't feel bad just for us, but anyone who goes through this process, if you go from like the transfer to this like limbo till the heartbeat scan, that's a brutal stretch because it's like incessant testing, incessant analyzing of HCG and doubling. What does this mean? And then going for actual blood tests to get like Mm -hmm. better numbers and talking to your doctor about like, is this, are we okay? Or, you know, are we ahead? Are we behind? And then you go into the heartbeat scan and you finally can get a definitive answer. But those weeks and weeks are pretty brutal. Right. And it's just, you know, and then you have highs and lows and you're hanging on to hope and you're giving up hope. And our gestational scan again went great. So there was the gestational sac and the fetal pole and you know, and it's just waiting for that heartbeat scan. And that was killing me because that's where everything went wrong the last time. Yeah. So like you said, the gestational scan went fine, kind of similar to the first pregnancy where we tried the time trigger. So just take me through this heartbeat scan, which is our, you know, the second heartbeat scan that you've had. Yeah. So again, just, you know, going into the room and I just remember, you know, you're almost like just full of adrenaline And it's just this long wait, you know, you're sitting there and waiting for them to come in. You're just sitting there alone in this room in your gown. And then, you know, as she's preparing to get the wand ready, you just are like thinking like, oh my God, she's going to say, and there's a heartbeat and you envision what's going to happen. And, you know, you're going to hear a little thump, 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 and you're going to see a little flicker and all of these things. And, and it's all racing through your mind. And then once again, she's searching and searching and you know, she finally just looks at me and she's like, I'm sorry, there's no fetal heartbeat. And I just think like every, it's so weird that it's still like when I talk about these, the heartbeat scan must be like probably so traumatic for me of just like hearing there's no fetal heartbeat because, you know, you want in that moment, like, it's like, you're obviously pregnant, you're expecting, and you're expecting a little one, you're expecting a family. And then in that moment, it's just like everything is taken away and you're you're not expecting to hear those words. You're not expecting that now there's n- no future. And, you know, it's weird. It's like clinical, it's the sterile room and hearing those words, there's no fetal heartbeat. You know, I don't know what to do in that moment. Sometimes I'd be like, you know, I, I see Dr. Beck as my doctor. Like, can I hug her? Like, can I, I just want to hug, but do, that feels weird. I'm, you know, like, I just want to lay down. I just want to cry. Like, I just want, you just, I don't know what I want. Like in that moment, I just am like frantic. And then just this feeling that it's over and frustration and anger. And again, then just like putting your clothes on. It's just this weird thing. Like, you know, she kind of leaves the room and, you put on your clothes and you walk down the hall and like waiting for the elevator and you feel like you're in this like daze, just like this slow-mo daze. It's awful. It's almost strange to say, but you almost wish those heartbeat scans, if you knew in advance that they weren't going to go well, which you obviously don't know, but that you could like bring in your top five favorite loved ones in life to sit there and be with you. Because it is... You're kind of alone, especially again during COVID, COVID where I couldn't come, you in. couldn't come in. You were by yourself. And it is, it, it was also just a weird 
process for me too, like sitting in the car, and just waiting. like waiting and then you'd be crying already. And it, so there wasn't, there was this weird disconnect with us too, where it was like, you were on your own doing the scan and then you'd call me And crying. just say like, it wasn't there. And then right. like, it is, it's just like, I almost remember just feeling like, I didn't know like who to look at and there's no one in the room, but then it's like, just like, I don't know. It's awful. So this is obviously the second time you've gotten the no heartbeat news at the scan. We talked two episodes ago, I guess, about the first miscarriage and how difficult that was. And you never would have thought you would have had that attachment. How, again, weird question about ranking or comparing, but how was this one different? Was it the unknowns were kind of gone now, though? You knew what a miscarriage felt like. Was it any easier this time? Yeah, I don't think it's any easier. I think that... I knew what to expect. I think I knew like I will survive this, but I don't, you know, in a way you're like, I don't want to go through this. Like, I don't want to even, like, I can't even imagine that this is happening again. This is happening again. So it's almost like Groundhog Day, which is also another weird feeling. And then because it's the second time, like there's this instant fear of something's really wrong. You know, obviously people have miscarriages. How many, but then like, as you go further, two, three, four miscarriages, like, you become in a smaller subset of women as you you start going down this miscarriage lane. And it just gives you like this awful pit in your stomach of like what could be wrong. This was the first time I started, not like pity for myself, but I did feel, I did feel a little unlucky. I started feeling like, wow, you know, we are really hitting the opposite of the good odds here. And when it comes to pregnancy, now granted, I will forever be grateful for that. And I'll always say it because I have to, those six embryos and how lucky we are. But when it when it was coming to pregnancy, I just felt like this is this is, you know, we're not we're not lucky here. <laughs> yeah. Well the frustrating thing too, and you can speak more to this than I can, but there is a term like unexplained infertility in this world. And that's such a frustrating term because for me, I want to say, well, there's an answer to everything. Like, yeah, you can put odds on things, of course, and nothing's for sure, especially when all this biological stuff's at play. But like, there is an answer there, right? It's right. just finding it. Well, and it's so difficult to find. And I think this, like, everyone should feel this way because I really eventually felt this way where unexplained infertility was not a good enough diagnosis for me. And I remember, you know, on my fake Instagram account, I followed um, an account called the Egg Whisperer and she does a lot of posts. And I remember I came across one during this time, which talked about unexplained infertility. And it, and it literally said, you know, keep asking those questions. Yes, it could, you know, it's like finding a needle in the haystack, but it's there. Maybe there's going to be too many different combinations or variables to find it, but but that needle is somewhere. So for me, I needed to figure out this mystery. But that's a hard thing too. It's like, you want to start something right away. You want to like get back into it. Do we just do another transfer? Do you do another endosurgery? Do we, you know, try something else? But you talk about a needle in a haystack and it's sort of like, well, are we just going to keep doing this over and over and over not really knowing what the problem is and like wasting these embryos and like, how are we finding this needle in the haystack? I mean, doctors go to school for forever to like have any sense of what these issues are. And they're amazing at what they do. But even like every infertility doctor out there like has <laughs> failures. So it's like, what do we, 
you know, what's our next step if it's not just like do the same thing over again? Right. And I, I think that's where the fear just really set in. So this time the miscarriage wasn't just like the first time I was like dealing just with the emotions of that. And this was like also dealing with intense fear of next steps. So the only way that I was really able to help navigate some of these emotions that I was feeling with the miscarriage was to research. And I will just tell anyone out there, if you want to do it, do it. Because to be able to self-advocate and ask your doctor questions, I just think it's so key and it gives you a, a sense of knowledge and control. And I came across an ERA test that obviously a lot of people in IVF know about. And it was one of those things where I was like, hey, why don't we test this? We didn't do this. So I asked the question to Dr. Beck, can we do this? And what the RA test does, it will determine if someone's endometrium is ready to receive the embryo of how many hours of progesterone support do they need. So very simply, you either get a receptive, pre-receptive or post-receptive. My friend went through two failed transfers, did this. She was 24 hours pre-receptive and then the next one worked. So in my mind, I was like, this is our answer. We need to do this test and make sure that we're receptive. Maybe this is why we lost it. And what did that test tell you? It actually told us that we were 24 hours pre-receptive, which is, you know, pretty big. And but just so people understand that it's essentially then just a protocol. Changing change the amount of progesterone, the, the amount of hours of progesterone. Before you go into a transfer. Correct. But that could, you know, if you read about it, have a big effect on implantation and on pregnancy or pregnancy loss. So, I mean, there is still some controversial stuff around the ERA of if it is actually, you know, the end-all be-all for why someone would not have, you know, implantation work or lose a pregnancy. So you were just optimistic maybe then by those results that a change in protocol, whenever we did another transfer, that that, that was help. it. And now a quick word from our sponsors. I wanted to give you more information about Receptiva DX. I feel very lucky that I was able to take this test and remove some of the mystery out of my own fertility journey. A diagnosis of unexplained infertility is difficult and miscarriage is traumatic. So I'm thankful there's a test like Receptiva DX that can provide insight and answers that many people are desperately seeking. Receptiva DX is a powerful test that can help detect inflammatory conditions on the uterine lining that might be preventing you from becoming pregnant or staying pregnant. If you have experienced implantation failure or recurrent pregnancy loss, ask your doctor about Receptiva DX testing. If found, uterine inflammation can be treated, providing a new pathway to achieving a successful pregnancy. Treatment options can improve the chances for a successful live birth fivefold. To learn more, please visit ReceptivaDX.com or ask your doctor if this test is right for you. I am so excited to intro you to Kat Schneider and how the incredible company Ritual came about. It's quite the story. She was pregnant, building a business from scratch and couldn't find a prenatal that she trusted. Well, she found a solution and made Ritual a success. I am someone who personally likes to research and feel confident that anything added into my daily regimen was something I trusted. That's exactly how I found the Essential for Women prenatal. I love that this is a high quality formulation with nature identical choline and clinically studied methylated folate to support baby's neural tube development before and during pregnancy. 
So why settle for a multivitamin you're not 100% sure about? Ritual was literally built on trust. So you know it's the real deal. Ritual is offering my listeners 30% off during your first month. Visit ritual.com slash Tara to start Ritual or add Essential for Women Prenatal to your subscription today. One other thing that was going on during this time, which was actually a good thing, I think, for us that broke up fertility talk and just was a cool thing for us as we started producing together a doc series on yes. a skating topic, which was like so fun. I think looking back, that was like so fun. It and was. So many funny stories. Oh my goodness. So many crazy stories. It was just like a fun and thing to do with you. Um, but around this time, we were leaving for a trip for meddling. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, like in a, a day or two, it was yeah. a, a tight turnaround, which was also awful because right. you're going through this and then I have to put work mode hat on again and I'm not really ready to do that. And we're traveling in COVID, which was completely insane. We do actually have a funny story of like, right, this is like days after your DNC. Which one? Ted Blue? <laughs> a, well, yeah, we're going on this international trip to Switzerland and, you know, Tara's like, we're, Obviously, her mind is in other places because she's have, having miscarriages. So I don't blame you. But we're going on this trip. We have a crew going with us. Yeah. Obviously, we're doing this big interview with one of the main characters in the doc <laughs> series. So like stakes are high. Yeah. We're excited to go. And I don't know, this is like two days, three days before we were going to leave. And Tara casually looks at, <laughs> looks at her passport and realizes it's expired. Now, renewing a passport in any other year, really, besides like 2020 and 2021 yeah. was pretty easy, I think. And I, I don't know, you probably couldn't do it in three days, certainly, but it was easier. But during COVID, there was like year wait lists to get passports renewed because everyone basically let their passport run out. And we needed to leave in three days. In, in two or three <laughs> days. It was like, you're not going, essentially. So call Ted Lou. So <laughs> shout out, man, to Ted Lou, our, our representative in our area. You, and again, this is funny, the differences between us is Tara's like, I'm going to reach out, reach out to our congressman. He's going to get me a passport. And I'm like, are you insane? I know, we had a fight about it. You're like, this is so silly. I was like, silly. this is a waste. It wasn't, I just thought it was a waste of time. Yeah. And I'm like mad at Tara. I'm like, <laughs> come on, man. Like we're doing this project together. What an amateur, like traveling. It doesn't even have a passport and you're ruining this trip. And probably in a nicer way yeah. was giving you grief. I then a day later look at my passport, also expired. <laughs> also expired. And then I was like, well, we got to call well, Ted Lou. we got Lou. Ted Lou on the line, so might as well, can you make it two? <laughs> and he did. He made and it two. And he did. Okay, so, but this is the craziest part of this passport story, guys. So we were on our way to Switzerland. We get on the plane. We're prepping for a movie. Our headsets are on. I look over and your passport's in the middle right, of the A seat. perfect spot for your passport. no. So I look over at you and you're watching a movie. So I interrupt you. I'm like, hey, and I'm like mouthing it. Hey, Todd, like move your passport. That's not good. It could fall. And you kind of just look over at me like I'm crazy. Like you can't hear what I'm saying. I'm like, well, that was rude. And in my mind, what I would have normally done is that, oh, I'll go get the passport and put it in my purse and make sure it's safe. But I was like, mm -mm. this time we're just going to leave the passport there and see what happens. 
Well, <laughs> what happened was, <laughs> so essentially I, long, long, long story short, I get off the plane immediately when I walked out of the gate, I was like, oh shit, I left my passport. Yes. And <laughs> then you can't get back on the plane. Yeah. Because I don't know if it was because it was international. No, you just, it, we were in Switzerland or it was like a COVID rule, but they wouldn't let me go back on the plane once I stepped out. And I just, I was like just across <laughs> the threshold of where I couldn't go back. If I literally, if I had thought of this, Five seconds earlier, none of this would happen. Right. But so immediately I talked to the gate agent. I'm like, I got to go back on the plane. She's like, you can't. We'll we'll send someone or I'll call and they'll look for it. She, they call back and they're like, oh, they can't find it. And they were so flippant about it. It was like, oh, we can't find it. I'm like, you realize I'm like now stranded in this country without my passport. Right. And meanwhile, I'm just like trying to bite my tongue. I stop another uh, flight attendant in the airport. I'm like, please, they're not really helping us here. Could sure. you go down and look? He went down and looked. He couldn't find it. The plane is closing up. All the passengers are gone. We have crew members staring at us. It was a disaster. We basically went to to where you give the border control. Yeah, to border control and they took us in the back and they're like, we were both back there, but eventually they were like, I explained to them it's on the plane. They're like, well, I mean, what do you, what do you always, want us to do? Yeah, I'll always remember that room. It's exactly what you think of a border control room. It was like a table, a little light hanging. And like a, a two-way mirror. Right, and like the woman saying like, I'm so sorry, Tara, now you have to leave. You've been here too long and Todd will have to go back to the, to the States within 24 hours and the plane is leaving in two hours. Yeah. Essentially they were like, you're going to have to fly back in the morning. Like, and I was like, well, where the, where am I staying? And they, they have, it's crazy. I'm sure everyone knows this. I did it. They have like a little mini weird hostel within the airport. <laughs> it looks very sort of institutional as like one hallway <laughs> and all these just like blank rooms on. And you actually have to pay for them. There's like a woman there with like a credit That's card That's what machine. you get for losing your passport. Yeah, like $18.99. <laughs> I'm like, okay. I go into my room and this is when you are simultaneously driving to France in the rain, calling our Congress person. Ted Lou. It wasn't just Ted Lou though. I feel like, or Ted Lou's people got in, in like the embassies essentially. I got a call from someone at the US embassy in Switzerland being like, well, could you, we could maybe have someone try to pick you up one and this yeah, other. I mean, we Zurich. had people really helping us here. It yeah. was, but it was crazy because it was very late at night. I'm driving. My GPS was not working. Reception was awful. I felt like I was just like driving in circles at one point. I couldn't get a hold of you. I'm randomly getting calls from Ted Lou's office. <laughs> like, but Ted Lou's people eventually called essentially the company that like cleans the plane somehow. And so a woman from there called me and was like, we've already checked. Like, thank you for involving like every single person <laughs> in the United States to try to like work this out. But like, yeah, we're, we, we looked on the plane and your passport's not there. I'm like, lady, God, just please go back and check again. And at that point, they hadn't taken the seat out. So I said, as one last favor to the United States of America and to Tara Lipinski, a gold medal winning American hero, and Ted Lieu, a great congressman from the great state of California, would you please like physically remove the seat and look? And she's like, all right, this plane is leaving for another flight in like a half hour. So we'll try I get a call 30 minutes later saying they there. found it. It was like deep, deep, deep in the well under the seat. They had to remove the seat. What so. did you learn? A, always listen to your wife. Yes. Don't give her attitude. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> or do whatever you want. Just ask Ted Lou to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> so enough about meddling. Um, we come home from that trip. And then if everyone remembers, the Tokyo Olympics, the Winter Olympics, because of COVID, were canceled or postponed, which is a year. crazy. 
and became a summer event, right? So July of 2021 was Tokyo. Um, Our hope was before Tokyo, we would do another transfer and give it another shot. But just explain, we had some complications that led to that not working out. Yes. So we had some complications. It was about a month later and we were traveling. I was expecting to get my period. I didn't get it. I was also having this weird pain, the sensation that just didn't feel right, this pinching feeling. And of course, I start researching why would a period be late after a miscarriage? Now, granted, it just can be late and that's what it is. Your body's resetting. It doesn't work like clockwork. But the other answer could be scar tissue. And that was definitely on my mind from, you know, now having a second DNC. So, you know, when I talked to Dr. Beck, she was like, oh, it'll probably just come back. Don't worry about it. And then the second month it didn't come. And I just started getting this internal gut feeling. And this is where I say like, this is where if you're going through this and you really are in tune with your body, ask questions, ask your doctor to to take a second look or, you know, it may be nothing, but it could be something. So I called and I was like, can I come in? I just want to see where we're at. Something doesn't feel right. So she brought me in. We did a scan and she's like, oh, you just ovulated. Great. In you know, 12 to 14 days, you'll get a period. Like clockwork, 12 to 14 days later, I had the weirdest thing ever happen to me and maybe one of the most painful things ever. But I started getting cramps and I was relieved. I was like, see, I worried for nothing. No scar tissue. I'm about to get my period. And I had the craziest cramps, but not a drop of blood. My stomach was so distended. I wasn't able to drink or eat. It felt like something was pushing up against my lungs and it felt uncomfortable to walk downstairs or even walk in general. I was just laying in the bed, so nauseous in so much pain. I remember at one point, like I was on the bathroom floor calling you and I was like, I I don't know what this is, but this is like, you may just have to take me to, it was the weekend. I was like, you may I just have to take me to the hospital because I, I, pain meds are not cutting it. I went through this incredible pain for three days. Then Dr. Beck saw me, you know, on Monday and she's like, oh, it looks like, you know, all your lining of your uterus has shed, which means you had your period. And I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. There was not a drop of blood. And she was like, what? So again, I'm not really sure what happened or where that went or what complication happened during this period, but it was the most intense pain. And then we were like, okay, now we have to figure this out. Could it be scar tissue? So I go to Dr. Beck's and she takes a catheter and she's going to stick it up there and it's going to, she can do this ultrasound and put saline in there to see if there's any scar tissue. Well, she's putting the catheter up and and now we're bringing in two nurses, three nurses. We're not getting anywhere. We can't get it in to my uterus. And she has such a great eye and she finally, you know, I was in so much pain. I was like gripping the sides of the table at this point because it just was A, painful for my endo, but B, it was it was like stuck. It wasn't going anywhere. So she's like, I think I see a band of scar tissue over your cervix. So the solution for that was, you know, she called my OB, filled him in and he said, you know what? I can take care of this. And he was like, Tara, you have two, he called me. He's like, you have two options. I'm leaving for two weeks. Either you can come in two weeks from now, we can put you under anesthesia and do a procedure, or you can come in, I can give you some meds to soften everything. And I just will take the catheter and bust through the scar tissue. Well, I was not going to wait two weeks (laughs) 
at all. We did not have that we kind of time. We decided to do the bus through option. <laughs> <laughs> we went to the bus through and oh my goodness, if I thought I was in pain the weekend before, this was intense. I I literally, there was a nurse like holding my arm and I was, I was kind of screaming. He was you know, like, there was just no meds. I was like, it just was crazy painful. And it went on for like 20 minutes as he's trying to kind of bust through. And he did. And it worked. And he he got up there and he then looked inside and everything else looked good. But yeah, that was another two, three month delay just from that one complication. So we eventually do have our second transfer on October 18th, 2021. So again, like just the time suck of IVF. I mean, think about it. We did, the previous one was in January of that year. So we're months and months and months later. You have that, no heartbeat. And then it's like, let's get back and do it again. But it's just time. A lot of time passes. So much time. And stress and talking about it for another and nine just months. Like, again, and then just the the stakes feel like they get so high because you're thinking about it for every hour of every day. And it's important to know, you had mentioned this, obviously the ERA test that you had taken was going to change your protocol for right. this, correct? And right. what, what was that new protocol? Well, we were not only changing the amount of hours of progesterone, but we were also going to do a frozen medicated transfer. So the medicated part of that was um, Lupron, which I would then add on the month before. So it extended the time period leading up to the transfer, just kind of calming everything down making sure there's no inflammation. So we end up doing our second transfer. Just take me through those next days where you then start to test. We had to wait a few days to get to day five. And day five was that crucial day that we wanted to see a second line. We wanted to see just the tiniest squinter. Anything. Anything. And I woke up that morning and I took out the test and I remember just standing in the bathroom, just praying, let me see just the tiniest line pop up. Please, please, please. And I tested and there was no line. Thanks for listening to Unexpecting the Podcast. Please subscribe, leave a review and follow Unexpecting Pod on Instagram for info about upcoming weekly episode releases. And hey, DM me on Instagram if you'd like to engage about fertility. I'd love to hear your story because our path might be different, but it doesn't mean we're lost. This episode has been sponsored by First Response Pregnancy. Their Comfort Check Pregnancy Kit and all other products are available for purchase in-store and online.